trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to A Gift for Grief. And today I am delighted to have Tracy McAtamney with me. Now Tracy is a certified grief recovery specialist and the founder of Surviving Bereavement Life After Loss. In 2019, Tracy became a published author with her book Hidden Strength. Tracy also organises pop-up bereavement cafes to support people going through grief and loss. So welcome, Tracy, and thank you for being my very first guest. Thank you. I'm honoured, Louise. (laughs) Now, I've read your book, Hidden Strength, and I know your story. But perhaps you could share how and why your work with grief started. Well... I'll probably start from the beginning, really. My life was touched with bereavement uh, very early on. I actually lost my dad when I was just seven years old. Um, He died suddenly in an accident. And so that was the first time that grief actually touched my life. So way back then, things were very different. We really didn't talk about it. My my mum used to... um, she just used to squeeze my hand um, and I never really knew or understood anything about why the coffin was there and what we were doing. I just remembered feeling quite frightened and um, of the coffin in particular and feeling quite different from other children. So moving on, moving on rapidly, my life did continue and I had lots of happiness and uh, married a wonderful man, had two wonderful boys. And um, in June 2004, um, which is 19 years ago, actually, which is really quite scary. Um, I was um, a normal Monday evening. Uh, I was in bed when I received uh, a phone call. It was the start um, of when mobile phones first came out. So it was a bit weird. This mobile phone went off next to me. Um, I knew my son, my older son, who was 15, was in the other bedroom um, with his friend. They were packing to go away on a uh, holiday um, to celebrate finishing their GCSEs um, with with, um, John's family. Um, And my Oliver, my seven-year-old, was actually in bed with me because Daddy was away playing golf for the Law Society. And as a seven-year-old, he would always say, when Daddy's away... I'm going to stay in mummy's. I'm sleeping with mummy. So it was it was the sort of thing we did. It was um, it was one of those moments I'll always remember. Um, we'd gone to bed. Um, I'd spoken to Tony the night before, 
and um, he, he talked about this beautiful room he was in. Um, he wished we were there. The reason we weren't there was, um, was because um, Anthony was finishing his GCSEs. So uh, we decided to stay at home and obviously um, support him. Um, so I spoke to Tony on the Sunday evening. We de- just told me about the room, how beautiful it was. Um, it described everything, really, from the window at the balcony. And uh, I, I can remember him finishing with, um, I wish you were here. And that was quite a strange thing for Tony to say because he loved playing golf. He loved the Law Society and usually didn't miss me in the least. It was, you know, it was his time to <laughs> yeah. have absolute fun. Um, so at the time, it didn't really mean anything to me. And he said he loved me. And, and you know, again, that was the end of our conversation. So moving on to a, a, an evening later, I'm asleep with um, my seven-year-old and the mobile phone goes off. Um I automatically knew there was something wrong and um, managed to get to the sort of crept out of bed with it into the um, the bathroom, the ensuite bathroom. And I vividly remember it, just answering the phone and there was just a man that said my name and he just said, Tracy. And for some unknown reason, I just said, he's dead, isn't he? Oh, my gosh. So you intuitively yeah, knew it, in that moment uh, I've no idea why those words wow. came out of my mouth but they 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 um and when he when he said yes I can just it was like somebody had punched me in the stomach I yeah. sank to the floor and went, uh yeah so it was um and it was just a case of well can I ring you back Oliver's in in the bed with me um um can I just ring you please when just give me some moments so um um, I had to go and um, sorry. Oh, Tracy, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. You're doing See, so um, it's well. It's really weird. It's 19 years ago, but yeah. um, going back, it, it it becomes then. It becomes yeah. real. It becomes now. So, um, and that evening probably still is the most difficult night of my life. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm so, you know, grateful that you're here sharing your story because there will be others out there that will have lost their husbands and partners or loved ones in a very unexpected and tragic way. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that position. And you're so brave. You say it's 19 years ago, but when you go through something like that, it's every day, isn't it? And the fact that you're here sharing your story is going to really help other people as well and make them feel like, you know, realise they're not alone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I'm having a few tears now because um, you do find the hidden strength, as I said in my book, to actually get on and to survive. But at the time and even now, when I think about the time, you just wonder how. Um. So I think the worst thing for me then was obviously find I had to make phone calls, had to tell um absolutely my mum my mum was in um lived in the granny flat, so I had to go and tell her. Had the reaction I wasn't expecting, she burst into tears and, and really started to scream and that shocked me because yeah. she'd never done that. When my dad died, there was no tears because she was she was trying to protect us and it was different, but yeah. it was just I think probably going on and seeing your daughter go through this again it it, um it it was all too much for her and I was really taken back um by by her reaction um but then then of course there was chaos um 
I, I did make one mistake there, which which I learnt too. Oliver woke up, and my older son um, Anthony and his friend they went in and said, "It's okay, Mummy's just got toothache. Go back to sleep. Everything's fine." Um, it at one o'clock in the morning, it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, but we still, you know, um, it, later on, I discovered that because I hadn't told the truth at the time, it did become a bit of an issue in that Oliver wouldn't believe anything his brother told him in future. If if he said later on, oh, mummy's gone to the shops, um, it was questionable, you know, well, has she or something, you know, what's happened? So, you know, you do, but you do, you do what you think is right at the time. And um, I very quickly um, was surrounded by friends and people arriving um, at the house. And, you know, even in the middle of the night, our local, our local priest, he arrived, who had been a friend of mine for a long time. And um, and I I, le- I I learnt from from the golfers in uh, Spain. I got back onto the phone, and Tony had actually died of an aneurysm. Well, we didn't actually know that. We actually everyone presumed he'd had a heart attack okay. because he'd found dead in he was found dead in his bedroom. Um, he'd felt poorly. He left the golf um, course, um, gone back to his room. And he had actually called a doctor, which is really bizarre because nobody was aware of that. He hadn't told fellow golfers. Okay. He hadn't told, he hadn't phoned me. He hadn't, uh, but he clearly had felt very unwell or, yeah. and hadn't hadn't really told anybody. And uh, the doctor had been, and they, there was there was there was obviously um, evidence of that that was on on the side. But from what I understand, um, nobody people just thought he perhaps strained his back carrying his golf clubs or something, um, because that clearly could have happened. Um sadly Tony didn't go down for dinner and that's when other other there were there were seven hundred lawyers there and um obviously all eating in different restaurants and yeah. suddenly somebody realised that Tony was not there. And uh, when they went to the room, he was actually dead on the floor. So, um, oh, gosh. and then it was, and I think they'd obviously found him early evening, but they ha- they wanted to wait for the one person that he travelled with that that he knew I knew, and that was uh, Brian Sheridan, who um, whose voice I still remember to this day. You know, just saying yeah. my name, and so th- this poor man came back from an evening out and having to make the phone calls to me. So uh, that that night changed a lot of people's lives, not just mine. Well, it was so unexpected. He hadn't been ill beforehand. No, there were no signs of. No, not at all. You until know, as that say, evening, you know, yeah. he, he, you know, and um, I mean, subsequently we found out it was a, an aneurysm, an abdominal aneurysm, which is very common in men apparently of a certain age, okay. um, and that you know it, it could only have been checked had they been checking something else, and um, yeah. and he probably when when it did happen um he he probably would have been dead before he hit the floor which actually was in hindsight was a great release to me because i i was obviously worried that i i thought i it upset me that he was on his own yeah yeah but again hindsight tony was a very private person and i think that's how it was meant to be i think you know for him it it was probably the best thing and you know had the boys and I been there it probably would have been far worse now thinking about it being in a foreign country with the children when it happened so you know at the end of the day it was an awful shock yeah but I can imagine that brings you some comfort that it happened like that but at that time and not only did you have your own grief to you know look after you also had two boys and your mum so how how do you get through that? 
that I think <laughs> that's that is the worst thing I had to do because having said I had to wait. I can remember walking miles in the night with with friends in the pitch black because I had to wait until seven o'clock in the morning to tell Oliver that his daddy wasn't coming home. And um, as you can tell, my memory is that that was pretty traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in that, he was, um, his little face, you know, when I went into the room, he could just tell by my face yeah. that something was wrong. And, um, before I had a chance to say anything, he just put, put his hands on my eyes and said, please don't cry, mummy. Yeah. And to me, that, from that, that day, well, at that time, if that was the only thing I could do for him, I didn't cry, which is really bizarre. Why I'm crying now is the yeah. fact that I didn't cry then. Um, yeah. And I can actually... Um, obviously, so daddy's daddy's not coming home. Yeah. And, you know, uh, but children are resilient. That's what you don't actually understand, just how resilient yeah. they are. He was quite, he was quite funny. Um, he, he asked, I asked him, did he have questions? And he said, well, where is daddy? And I did the, well, daddy's gone to heaven because lots of people need his help there. And, um, and, and I said, so we can see him up in the sky, go wave at the stars, yeah. and he's looking down. So I did all the things probably that, you know, that seemed to ease the pain at yeah, the time. Yeah. And do you find that because of your grief experience at such a young age, did that help you in any way to comfort the boys? <laughs> it did because um, um, I decided, it didn't at the time, at the time the shock was quite, I just, um, from once I told Oliver and... Um, you know, when he left, when we left that bedroom, he just, um, he he looked at me and he, and he said, can we look, um, can we go downstairs now? Do I have to go to school? And I said, no, Oliver, not today. And he said, well, yeah, can can I go and watch TV? And I said, that's absolutely fine. And as, um, as we walked down the stairs, he said, so tonight, mummy, can we look for daddy in the sky? And uh, <laughs> I can remember my eyes just, and I didn't cry because he'd asked me not to. But that was... That was the worst part. That is definitely yeah. the worst part for me. Um, and I can remember getting downstairs to House for the People and they were all sat absolutely terrified waiting for this, waiting for Oliver to come in. And he just climbed onto the lap of a friend, um, yeah. Ray, and just said, OK, I'm going to watch Jenny now. Oh. And everyone was just, great sigh of relief. Yeah. But that, that's children for you. Absolutely, you know. yes. So how did you get, Tracy, from this, the darkest period of your life to you know now you've written a book you're helping other people through grief and loss and you're making such a difference to other people's lives how do you get to that place um i think because you know everything that could go wrong went wrong which which you know classically can happen if, if something's going to go wrong and it did we had all sorts of issues getting the body back and there was all sorts you know and that is quite fu a lot of the things are quite funny when you know when you look at it i think you always got to keep your humor yes um so i i traveled to spain with anthony um my son and that's you know i began to breathe gradually um from not being able to breathe and just being very quiet um i then started to think how what I needed to do and I started to make decisions I had people around me all trying to make decisions and I knew at the end of the day it was only me that could make decisions and gradually um lots of I mean, one of the things I remember people saying was oh well you can't take your Anthony with you um to see his body because he's only 15 wow. 
And um, it was, yes, he's 15 and he has a choice and yeah. he's a young man. And um, and if he wants to come, then, then he can come. Yeah. And, you know, and we had the strangest journey, really, because it was like a role reversal. My, my, I did, my son did grow up. Over, I changed overnight, but my son certainly did. He... Um, um, we were on the aeroplane, and uh, I'd always, I'd always thought that my boys were both dyslexic. They're both incredibly bright, but very, but they were both dyslexic, so didn't read till they were thirteen, and and uh, that used to really upset me. Um, until this, it, that that was devastation yeah. for me. Um, so, um, so it was. So we were on the aeroplane, and by now Anthony is sat there reading this novel, which was huge. I can't concentrate because that was one of the things mm. that happened to me in Greece. Could I concentrate? No. Could no longer read, couldn't concentrate on anything. No. And in the end, he just had a big sign, looked at me and said, Mother, we can't change what happened. Neither of us like this. We can't, we can't change it. But I can promise you, I'm not going to turn into a delinquent overnight. We will be oh okay. Oh, my goodness. And then he pressed the bus out and said, can my mother please have a glass of wine on the aeroplane? And oh, it was, wow. <laughs> and it was, you know, it, it was just a really strange moment. And I suddenly realised, you know, he was, it, it was the right decision. Yes. And, and we shared a hotel room and I can remember him sitting sitting on the balcony and saying, okay, mother, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to read and I think you should go to sleep first. I'm just yeah. going to be there. And it was a complete role reversal. It was oh. like, oh, um, my son's grown up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in that in itself was one of the things that, that worried me because then you did have lots of people saying to him, you know, oh, you're now the man of the house, which really irritated me yeah. because, the, you know, to give that responsibility to... pressure, to, isn't it? It's a massive press, yeah. pressure. Yeah. So that's really, you know, so everything was going wrong. While we were away, while I was away, the Law Society also came in and froze all the accounts, so we could have lost the business. Um, oh my gosh. There was, it, it was just everything that happens. Um, so, you know, I had to deal with so much and suddenly I think, um, suddenly I knew I had to do it. So um, I did it, uh, changed into somebody else completely. Uh, I don't think Tony would now recognise me. Um <laughs> And I think what we all do, I think we all change when, when a significant yeah. death happens. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, it was years later that I decided, um, by which time I, I was running my own networking company, and um, somebody asked me, well, I decided to tell my story because I was in a room of ladies, and I said, well, we all have, none of us get here in straight lines, and this is my story. And people were, were quite shocked because nobody had known how I, my story was. And then there was a lot of interest in what what had happened, what I did. And I was asked to write the book. And that's that's really... Then I realised that people... I, I think I then thought, well, why would people be interested in my story? But then I thought, well, now actually... Now I can actually say to people, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can get there, no matter yeah. how dark a day it feels. So that's really why I did what I did and, and yeah. how I feel I can help people now. So you've turned your pain into positivity and by helping other people. Yes. Yeah, I try. <laughs> Do you know, I've been to some of your events and I was first introduced to you through our lovely mutual friend Lorraine Checklin. Yes, the lovely Lorraine. And she kept saying, Louise, you need to meet Tracy. And she spoke so highly of you. And I know it was at a time where it was only a couple of years after Matthew had died, I think. And I wasn't really very good at socialising at the time because, you know, you're in that space where all you think about is the absence of yes. that person. And you go to family events or social events and everybody else is getting on with their life. And I used to feel like I was on the periphery of life and I wasn't 
in it anymore and it was so difficult. And I remember going to this event of yours in Stratford and driving there thinking, I don't really know if this is the right thing for me and I've got to walk into a room full of strangers and... And when I walked in, you met me with such a lovely, warm welcome. I just felt immediately comfortable. And it wasn't long before I realised that most of the people in that room, probably everybody in that room, had also gone through a significant loss. And for the first time, I felt like these people get me. Yes, I'm allowed yeah. to talk about Matthew and I'm not going to be met with awkwardness and clumsiness absolutely and I was sharing my story and listening to their stories and um you had lovely Rachel doing a talk because she'd lost her daughter and um there was tea and coffee and cakes and sandwiches and I could have stayed there all day and I remember driving home afterwards so pleased that I went because I felt uplifted I felt lighter And I felt like I'd met my tribe. And I thought about you and what you'd been through. And honestly, you completely inspired me. You know, and now I've gone and written a couple of books and I have this Facebook group and now I'm doing this podcast. And I think it's that spark came from going to that first event. So you're making such a difference to other people's. I've never told you that before. Oh, I should have told you. you that before now. No, thank but honestly, you. I just felt, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about your um, surviving bereavement work? So surviving bereavement, I think when the first one you came to, I, I tried to do it. Um, we tried to organise people too much on that at the beginning. We, and we, we, I suppose I was trying to do it more like a networking meeting that I do regularly. Um, and... It just wasn't quite right. So now we do them. They're far more informal than, you know, they are much, much more informal. We don't we don't really have speakers and things now. People share their stories. Um, but we 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 just let people come. We just have the cafes and people just arrive and they feel safe. It's a safe place. They can talk and everyone wants to talk. But then, then they start making friends uh, because the one thing we both know is when, when things do change, People, people start to avoid you and people you've known for a long time don't know how to deal with you yeah. and they're embarrassed by the situation. And um, so the surviving bereavement, really, the cafes now are very much there for people just to come and, and be able to talk. And they, you know, they build new relationships. People yeah. swap numbers, phone numbers. And uh, my recent one this week, I mean, it makes me smile. There were three people um, in Kenilworth from my Kenilworth ca- um, cafe and They'd all lived completely separate areas, but they agreed to meet between them on the Sunday, on the last Sunday. And they had a lovely Sunday lunch out together, which they, through the cafe, one, you know, they'd both lost their wives, the two gentlemen, the lady had lost her husband. And they just met up and they spent the whole day together. And and even, I think they ended in afternoon tea because they enjoyed their company so much because they all had the same thing in common. They'd all lost people and were just... They just wanted they just wanted to talk, but talk with people that understood that sometimes they might yeah. cry. I mean, the same way I've just had a few tears, you yeah. know, you do. It doesn't grief just doesn't disappear. But we can feel comfortable in each yes. other's company where people that haven't been through what we've been through would feel uncomfortable and feel that we needed fixing because yes. oh you're still crying. Yeah. You know, it's six months, twelve months, you know, surely you should be over it by now. But uh, you know, we all 
have our different losses in different ways. And grief is very individual. Um, But what we do share are the same emotions, that same pain, you know, the intensities, the anger, the deep sorrow, you know. And I think when you're with other people that have gone through a very similar experience, there's a lot of healing in there, isn't there? Oh, definitely, because that that emptiness is so difficult to yeah. to fill. There's a massive void in your yeah. life, and and how to fill that is is so hard. Um, and you know, you don't have to fill the void. You probably never will fill that no. void. That that gap is always going to be there. Um, you know, I I I still very much grieve for the life the life I lost. I yeah. have a, I have a lovely life now, but I do grieve for the life that I lost. Yeah. And when somebody dies, that's it's the loss of your future together, all the things Absolutely. you would have been doing together. And yeah. I, I suppose for you, it's it was the opposite way. It was the achievements and things and the weddings and all the things that you didn't get yeah. to experience. Um, I see it from the other way. I actually see it was like last, last year my son got married and all the incredible things the boys have done. And their father wasn't there to see yeah. it. So it's it, it's I grieve for his loss as well. Yeah. So it's really it's a really strange sensation. Yeah. I cried at Anthony's wedding because I did the speech. It was probably two or three minute speech, and I wrote it. I wrote it to him and to Tammy, and I did it directly to them, and I made them both cry. And actually, oh, I I actually yeah. didn't cry on the day. I cried every day writing it, but then when I actually presented it, I didn't yeah. cry, but they did. Yeah, and it was just really moving, and uh, because. You know, Anthony is very, the one thing I can say is Anthony is very much his father, his image of his father in all yeah. his mannerisms. He, he holds court in a room the same way Tony would. And, you know, that, that you know, that's what you see as well. And that's lovely to see because yeah. you see Tony living through your boys then, oh, don't absolutely. you as well? Oh, absolutely. Oh, that is amazing. So you also work as a certified grief recovery specialist. So is that like a type of counselling? How does it work? So it, it's not counselling as such. It, it really is... Um, it it gives you it gives you the tools to 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 work through any loss um uh, because you know grief we talk about grief um being just about death and it's not it can be about so many things people going through divorces yes. people um you know um moving house moving jobs you know all, all sorts of things can that can trigger um, the same emotions that, that grief show. And so when I did the grief recovery um, method um, course. I decided to do it because I wanted to know at my cafes I was saying the right things, but in particular not saying the wrong things because it, it's so easy to say something that um, that is just wrong. Um, and so, it yeah, it's great. And I also did um, part of that is also um, being able to train adults how to how to help children grieving so that means going into schools and 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 doing courses with with teachers on how to deal with youngsters and so yeah so the grief recovery method it really is it's great it gives you the it gives you the tools um so there is there is a book the grief recovery handbook that anyone can buy and that tells you the basis of 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 actually doing going through the great grief recovery method 
Um, and I can I can certainly say to anyone to get that book and read it. You can just buy it off Amazon or anywhere else. And even if you just read the book, but it does it definitely gives you the, the tools to deal with all sorts of situations on how to move forward, how to move on. Yeah. So, you know, so I can definitely recommend it. Oh, well, that's good to know, because we're experts in our own grief, aren't we? And um, you're an expert in your grief. But grief is experienced in so many different ways. It's difficult to be a grief expert in everybody's grief. Oh, absolutely. So anything like that, that can help you understand. Um, Because what somebody might say to me might just land perfectly, but for somebody else it might trigger them and be the wrong thing. And it's so difficult to get it right, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, so I'm always, I'm, I'm doing a course soon on um, bereavement by suicide. So I want to be able to feel confident about, you know, talking about all these different aspects of loss. Um, but I think when you've been through a significant loss, it just gives you the confidence to talk to other people about it. It, it, it's very interesting, actually, um, because my uh, my Oliver, my youngest son, who is now twenty six, um, he and lives in London. He came home recently. Last well, it was, it's almost a year now because one of his friends committed suicide, sadly, and oh. it was the boy he'd known well at school. They'd played rugby together, and in fact, it, the boy's parents um, would take Oliver to rugby um, every yeah. week because Tony wasn't there to do it. And Oliver was, it really triggered everything with Ollie because he, it was the first, he wanted, and I was so happy that he was talking about it because it's so important for all, for males in particular to talk about it. And he kept phoning me and he was phoning me on a daily basis saying, I can't get my head around this. Why is he, what, you know, what has made him do this? His parents were such amazing people. And, you know, I was always envious because he had his dad at the side of the the rugby match. And I don't understand. And, and, you know, I I said to him, and in fact, work were very good and offered to him counselling because of it, which I thought was, you know, I think he's so good now in the workplace, um, which he did take. And, but he felt free to talk. And when he came back to the funeral, his friends all came back. Several of them came back to the house and I did a meal in the evening. And they sat and talked about it. And I thought, this is so good. That's They're talking to talk about yeah. it. Yes, definitely. Because they were all in shock. All these young men were in shock at the loss of their, their friend. And yeah. so it's really, really important. You know? It helps them to process yes. it. And also to talk to their friends so they realise that, you know, how they feel is normal yes, because they yeah. see it in their friends as well. Absolutely. So communication yeah. is so important, isn't it? Is, it? it is. And I think we're getting better at talking about grief and loss, but we've still got a long way to go in this country. Yeah, yeah. It still getting, is the elephant in the room it, for most it? conversations. Absolutely. Everyone shuts up immediately if you mention it. So. Yeah, yeah, you get that tumbleweed moment. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> but again, you know, talking to somebody that's been through it, I feel really comfortable with you you know you know but I noticed at the in the early days people didn't want to talk about it you know it was my family were grieving you know Matthew's cousins were grieving my close friends were grieving so people outside of that circle you felt like you wanted to talk to people about it but people would would be just awkward and their eyes would glaze over or they'd change the subject. People Did would cross the road. That? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that <laughs> happened walking to you down the road too. and yeah. people would cross the road. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I, I think 
I, th- I think it's such a shame because it doesn't matter. It could be three people living in a house as we were. We were all grieving differently. Yes. And yeah. what what tends to happen within the family, I think, then you all you're all worried about each other and you're all trying to protect each other. Yeah. So you're all putting on a brave face. I was putting on a brave face for the boys. They were doing it for me. They wanted me to be okay. So you do get this weird thing going. Yeah. So, you know... It is, it is interesting to be able to explain to people that's what's going on. And I've, I've come across lots of lots of people recently in a similar position to me where, where you know, it's it's a wife left with two, in, in particular, two young boys. It's happened three times in the last year. Yeah. And it's it's been interesting just talking to these people and saying, well, this is what happened to me and this is how I found the boys were doing. And, and one thing that one thing we all agreed with is they all were looking they look for normality. Children look for normality. Yes, that's yes. one thing they want. And and of course, you have to find a new normality, which is really you have to reinvent yourself. New you normalities, and yes. that's the difficulties. But for them, they wanted to get back to school, back to their friends, back to just being as normal as possible. Yeah, and that's really interesting because when I was eleven years old, my seventeen-year-old brother died very suddenly, and I remember at the time thinking. I'm not I'm not sad but I only saw him yesterday why you know I couldn't I was more upset seeing my parents upset and um it happened on the Sunday nights so we didn't go to school on the Monday but I was desperate to go to school on the Tuesday because I needed that normality yes because yeah, what happened to my life it yeah. just been turned yeah. upside down and I didn't really miss him because I'd only seen him the day before yeah. and I was only 11 years old so I didn't really understand and I remember being at school and the look on some of the teachers like, what are you doing here today? And I was thinking, just treat me normally. Yes. And, yeah. you know, some of the older children in school would come up and hug me. And I think, well, you wouldn't look at me twice, you know, last week. Why yeah. is everybody being so nice? I just want it to be normal. So I can totally understand that. And it wasn't until years later, actually, that I really started to properly grieve for my brother yeah so yeah yeah and I think I think a lot of us do that I mean I I certainly put everything into you know I did everything I tell people not to do I put everything into a box and I closed it because I was too busy to grieve I had too much to do um but as I say I now do cry It's, it's quite it's quite interesting you know having having now put it all in writing I do have those moments and I think gosh how did how did you do that you know yeah. How, you are amazing. <laughs> you are amazing. We are amazing. I, I think yeah, I think it has to be a week. <laughs> yes. So Tony was a keen golfer. And I read somewhere, I'm not sure if it was in your book or heard somewhere, that about a golf ball that rolled out from underneath the bed and you believed it was a sign from him. So do you believe our loved ones can send us signs? I definitely do. I mean, it was the strangest situation. Um, I never really thought about it. My sister very much thinks about those things and she she looks for signs everywhere and sees them everywhere. And for me, I was always really quite sceptic about things and it never really occurred to me. But um, when I talk about the room that Tony had told me about the last time we spoke, um, I I was in his bedroom with his daughter um, and Tony. So I've got stepchildren as well, which I'm really, really close to still, which is amazing. Um, and Victoria was with me in the room and and we walked in and everything was just how he'd said it was. And he, even his shirt um, was hanging and his swimming trunks were hanging over a chair where yeah. he'd been swimming and everything was just... And it felt calm. And um, I, and 
the whole room. They didn't they didn't feel like there'd been anything awful happen in the room. Yeah. And that that was that that felt really good to me. And I can remember Victoria saying, "Well, I." I'll pack Daddy's things. I'll I'll do the packing. You you know you you sit there and and uh, I sat on the bed. And as I sat on the bed, um, I'm sitting talking to Victoria, and we were laughing. She was saying it was a messy so and so, wasn't it? And we were trying to make light of things. Yeah. And then a golf ball just rolled from under the bed, and we wow. both looked at it, and and it was yes to me it was a sign. It was a sign of comfort. It was a sign of hope. It yes. was a sign, it was a sign you're not on your own. I'm. Yeah. I'm in some ways, I'm still here. I might not be here. It's going to be okay. And yeah. that sort of was a changing moment for me. I actually I actually did believe then that it's going to be okay. Yeah. I am going to be okay. Yeah. I can do this. <laughs> That's amazing. So what are your thoughts about the afterlife? Do you have a faith, a religion or belief that there is something else then? I, I would definitely hope so because... Um, I, th- I think that's what got me through. I mean, yes, I've always gone, I've always gone to mass. Um, it's quite funny, really, because I was brought up as a um, I was christened a Catholic. I was then um, when my my dad died, my mom was Church of England, so my mom, I was the Church of England really looked after us, our local yeah. priest. So then I was confirmed in the Church of England, but then I married a Catholic, <laughs> which is really quite strange. <laughs> so I've sort of covered all bases on yeah. that front, and um, and I do, but. What I find, I don't try and overthink it. I go to Mass and I quite often sit there and I find comfort from being in yes, church. Yeah. It certainly very much helped me um, when Tony died because it was very important to Tony. He'd, he'd gone to a Catholic school. He'd been brought up very strict Catholic. But he 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 really, really did believe, really yeah. believed. And he passed that on to the boys very much so. And that made my life a lot easier when I, when I, when obviously when he wasn't there to yeah. say that, you know, he, he's gone to heaven. He's, Absolutely. he's, there is another place we will, it, it doesn't feel so final. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, so all those signs are important to me. And, you know, and it came really sort of the same time as Tony died, there was another friend of, well, a friend of a friend, um, her husband died, leaving a, a daughter of around 12 or 13. And they had no beliefs at all. And yeah. it was it was a really difficult situation yeah. because it was so final. And neither of them really coped very well because they just didn't... There was just no belief in anything. And I think yeah. if you've got nothing to hold on to, I don't really care what you hold on to, but I, I think it's important that you do believe in things yeah I think it must be so difficult for people that have no belief at at all because um I was brought up as a Catholic my parents were big church goers um I don't tend to go to church now I do find them very special places and I like to sit in them and contemplate and feel that peace but um I suppose I describe myself as quite spiritual you know I I do have a belief system and uh, a faith and that there is life after death Um, but for people that don't have that for whatever reason I just think nobody knows really what happens to us and it can just be a choice you can choose to well you know just open the door to that belief a little bit that there might be something there and when you start to you know find comfort in that you might get a little sign that might just help you move forward in some way or loosen your grief in some way. Um, I suppose if you're completely close to that idea, then it's harder to 
yeah, see it those is. signs and I things think, like I think that. if you are so sceptical about everything, then, yeah. you know, I, I just I just have hope that, that you Absolutely, know, I have hope yeah. that, that, you know, there is there is an afterlife. And and uh, and certainly, as I say, I often feel I still I still talk to Tony, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously he doesn't answer me. But funnily enough, you do get sometimes the answers to my worries and my fears do then appear yeah in front you wonder of where me. they come from yeah so, so absolutely so you know as i say i don't yes i do believe definitely but i don't i just as i say i don't overthink it and i'm probably yeah. i can't certainly categorize myself as you know the sort of catholic that tony was and yeah. how important it was to him but i still do go when i can yeah to mass but mostly again because i find comfort from it yeah you know, yeah yeah it's just and i like being in the environment and it just gives me that bit of comfort absolutely so. and why not so for people who have just lost a loved one or perhaps for others who have been stuck in grief for years, do you have any words of wisdom you could share that would maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? I think that, I think the main thing is that you you have got to talk. You've got to be kind to yourself, um, and there is no time limit on grief. We we know that, and as, as you know, I've just had tears. Um, yeah. I've just had tears after nineteen years, and it's quite interesting that I, um, I was asked to do a quote for a newspaper recently, and I read my own book. And I cried again. Yeah. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you crying? You know how this ends. You wrote this. Yeah. And, you know, so what I'm saying is be kind. Allow yourself to be sad. There's nothing. You can be sad. You can you can cry. Um, but, but equally, you know, also remember to smile. Remember, remember the yes. good times. Keep your memories are precious. They're so Absolutely. precious. And as a, you know, talk about talk about your loved one. I mean, you know, we still talk about. We still talk about Tony all the time. It's not always, you know, we haven't sort of put him in this, we haven't put him in this shrine. We yeah. talk about the other things he did that we're like, oh, do you remember when he did this and yes, when he did that? And yeah. it's still, so when I meet with my stepchildren as well, because I have step-grandchildren too, um, it, it's, it's great. We have tears. We all cry yeah. because then I, again, I do the whole thing. I remember that Tony's not there and he'd have loved, he never met his grandchildren. And I mean, yeah. obviously I don't have any of mine for my boys yet, but, but from, from Tony's former family, then, you know, and we, we still try and meet every year. And it's so important because we yeah. talk and we talk about, oh, you know, and what daddy would have done and daddy would have liked this. And yeah. it, it really talking. Um, and not trying to put somebody away and hide them away. You know, they existed. We, you know, keep sharing those memories. Keep smiling. Is you know, keep smi- the, the things that did make you happy. And they're still alive in us when we yes. talk about them. So yes, we've got to keep talking about them. I we talk about Matthew every day, um, and he's still part of our lives. Yes. Absolutely. So where can people find out more information about what you offer and the work that you do? Well. Um, I do have the website Surviving Bereavement and that is being updated at the moment. Um, and so the other thing, um, so we have cafes across Warwickshire and West Midlands. So there are some more due to open. I'm um, looking for volunteers. I've had quite a lot of success in that recently. Um, our mutual friend, Amanda Chalmers, who, of yes, course, you know, yeah. uh, Amanda does a lot of the PR and, and everywhere I go now, people say, oh, we know you. And I'm like, no, Amanda's <laughs> been putting photos out there again. And um and so we, we do, we're looking, you know, the cafes are great and anyone that wants to come along and feel they can sort of lend a hand is great because, you know, sometimes if you get a lot of people and it's their first time, it's nice to go and sort of give them a little one-to-one. Yes, Whereas yeah. then they very soon start to make connections. So the cafes are brilliant. Um, we do the grief recovery courses that I can offer one-to-one um, and also group sessions um, 
so all that will be on the website and also of course the memory boxes which is very close to my heart which we give out um, to children um, um, coping with grief yeah oh wonderful that is amazing so you're a very busy lady Tracy and also director of Ladies First Professional Developments Limited and you do a lot of networking and I see that you won an award at the weekend you only won networker of the year I did so tell us a little bit about this I did it was so exciting so um, it's a really strange it's as I say my life's changed uh, so much um, with with each bereavement and things that have happened in my life I changed and I have this this lovely networking company I love networking I love people and what's happened is it might it might sound bizarre to have a bereavement foundation and a networking group but do you know what they really they they help each other because when I need things also I I I beg and borrow from the businesses and uh, what was really um (laughs) Ironic. I was, last year I was invited um, by the Coventry Lord Mayor to in, for International Women's Day and I arrived uh, in Coventry uh, in the Lord Mayor's office thinking I was going into this massive room full of women and actually there was, because we were literally, I suppose, just still coming out of COVID, yeah. it was a table of about 20 people and it was like, oh, how have I been invited here? This is quite a privilege. And it was just funny how networking, so I, I was invited as my networking um job there and we went around the table and the Lord Mayor said well you know as we might as well introduce ourselves and what, what our connection with Coventry is and what we do and the networking and it was really good fun so we had a minute to do this so I could see all these scary MPs around the table <laughs> and all sorts of people and, and May Parsons who was the first nurse to give the first Covid vaccine oh, yes, yes. so there's all these amazing people and I'm really thinking I don't really know why I'm here but I could actually do the one minute quite nicely because it came to me and it, they said um so um, well, I said, I'm here for my networking and the work I do with women in business. And, uh, I, and I sort of skipped over and I said, I have a bereavement foundation, which is very close to my heart. And I said, the, my connection with Coventry is that I was Coventry Carnival Queen. Um, and I jumped out of the aeroplane with the Lady Mayoress. <laughs> well, the, the, everyone was in stitches and the Lady Mayoress nearly passed out. She said, they didn't tell me that was that. <laughs> that was not on my contract. So it really was an icebreaker. But what was really strange, one of the ladies I thought looked really, scary um who was an mp um she actually came straight over to me she said can can we talk about your bereavement foundation and so so last year which is a year to this day i ended up in parliament i was on the train on the day of so 18 years um since tony's death there was me on the train to parliament um to go to talk about grief and bereavement and I'm thinking, how did this happen? And it happened through networking. So yes. it's amazing. So, yeah, so there I was. Um, I now do also know that, you know, I have been drinking in Parliament on the balcony and everywhere yes. else. So it was, uh, um, um, it was really interesting that, that the two things crossed over. But to find myself there all those years later yeah. on the anniversary of Tony's death, it was like, this is really bizarre. Uh-huh. But that's networking and I love networking. And they cross over. I do, I do awards. I really like to show appreciation to so many people that do such amazing things yeah. so and yeah so somebody put me forward for one and um I was so out of my comfort zone being on either <laughs> side so but it was really nice yeah. to be appreciated so now I have my own awards so. oh well congratulations you're not only my first guest you're a celebrity guest as well well now. <laughs> So it's been, is it 18 years since Tony's death? It's 19 years. 19 um, years. It's actually 19 years on um, the 28th of June. Okay. And I will be in Spain. No, I will not be in Spain. I'll be in Portugal with yeah. the boys at the Law Society. Every three years, the competition that Tony was doing and died at, um, I 
I then had a cup made and every three years this competition happens and myself and the boys go out and present the cup. And so that's what we're doing um, in a couple oh. of weeks' time. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. and they've moved it from Spain now to Portugal, but yeah. it's still the same format and we go and see some of the same people. So it's it's really nice to do. Oh, that's a good thing to do. So I feel Tony must be very proud of you, Tracy, you know, how far you've come. So how do you keep the memory of him alive? Do you have any family rituals to remember him by? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, as I said, the Law Society golf one is quite important to yeah. me because he would have liked that, and especially he was Irish. So the, every year the cups come back to Ireland, which is really bizarre, yeah. and yeah, it's an international golf. Uh-huh. The Irish all seem to win it. Um, so that's one way we try and keep it alive. Um, I've always done a lot of fundraising in his memory and really the foundation is in Tony's memory yeah. that I set up. But, but as a family, yes, we try and meet up um, at least once a year and, you know, all of us and my stepchildren, step-grandchildren. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that's really important. And, and you know, even Tony's cousins and people are still very much keep in contact with. And, um, and as I say, <laughs> we just keep him alive. We keep his memory alive. Yeah, that's know. really good to hear. So you've certainly found your purpose through your pain and loss. So if you could give Tony a message now, what would you like to say? This is quite a funny one because had you asked me this some years, 18 years, 19 years ago, it would definitely have been, where is the will? (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite funny now because it was, it was obviously a massive issue at the time. The fact he was a solicitor and died without a will and the the trouble it caused us, we will, well, it was, but do you know what? It was character building. But I also, I all said that, that was, yeah, yeah, that's probably the one question I would have asked him. Um, But no, I, I would I would probably want to say that he's missed every day still and you know yeah. but he is still very much a part big part of our lives and you know if he is looking down on us from somewhere I'm sure he knows that and I just hope he is I'm sure he's proud of us all and when yeah. I see you know including including the grandchildren he never got to meet yes yeah yeah well I think that's a perfect way to end our podcast today so I'm so grateful you said yes to being my guest and for sharing your personal story We need to have these conversations and I'm sure it will help others out there too, particularly those who've lost their husbands and partners, just letting them know they're not alone and there is help. And I love how you've turned your life around and how you're now supporting others. You certainly supported me going through grief and loss and I'm sure your inspirational story will give hope to others too so thank you so much Tracy thank you Louise thank you very much (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.